welcome to Time of the Month and this is our first episode in 2023. Woohoo! Happy New Year, Linda! Happy New Year to you, Laura, and everybody else out there. Yes, so yes, this is uh, the first one of the year and for those of you who might be tuning in for the first time, I'm Laura Dagen and my co-host is Linda Pollock. And uh, we've been doing this for a wee while now, Linda, haven't we? I don't know how long. Is it a year or more than a year? I'm an old buff. I, I think it might be might be just over a year. Um. So yes, it's uh, it's been uh, quite a journey, and it's uh, we're we're growing a real um audience, and uh, and what's really great, I think, as well, is it's people that maybe would not normally go to church as well. Um. So it's uh. And also, and for the people that that, that are Christians, um, it's just this way of getting, you know, getting in and like exploring the text and exploring the characters of these women in the Bible that sometimes are forgotten about, who sometimes are unnamed and sometimes are misunderstood. And today we have Bathsheba. Um, so actually Bathsheba, I think, can be misunderstood um, uh, by well, depending on who you're reading and the and the commentators. Um, yes, she's uh, quite a. Uh, there's there's lots of kind of lots of uh, lots of uh, very uh, beautiful art that features features her, um, but I think maybe we we miss her story. Eh, Linda, what do you think? I think she's misrepresented more than anything else. I think people um, in their longing to defend and hold King David up as a righteous in every way, shape, form, they do her a disservice and misrepresent her terribly, maliciously, wickedly. And I think that it's the it's the the burden of women throughout history, particularly throughout Christian, Judeo-Christian history, that women are misrepresented for the convenience of elevating men. Yeah. I'm sorry to say that. It breaks my heart to say that. But that's that's been my reality and my experience as I read the text and, and try to learn a wee bit more about the, the various characters. But anyway, I'm preaching there. My jod purse will start to chafe. I better get off my high horse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, do you know, actually, I think, well, from what you're saying there, Linda, actually, is I was, like, uh, doing my research as well, um, I, I kind of came to the same conclusions, but we'll we'll tease that out as as we um as we chat, and also it'd be really great um as whenever you know you're all listening to us, um please do like put your comments um in the in the comments section on on Facebook, and also if you're on the website. Uh, what your thoughts are as well. We'd be we really we like to know um, what, what you're thinking and and also if uh, what we're discussing um, changes um, your thoughts and your opinions at all, um, or if you think we're wrong. Well, we would like to know that. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, we're definitely. always open to conversation, and I think one of the things that's really important for us is that people feel safe to to disagree yes. and feel safe to open their mind or to change how how we think because we, we we have to keep growing and evolving and and embracing the the understanding that the spirit reveals to us because 
I mean, you can you can have the best brain in the world and you can break everything down and apply all kinds of different kind of literary criticism to the scriptures. But at the end of the day, often that's just baggage. And what we want to do, I'm sure you agree with me, Laura, is to hold the scripture up and say, Lord, speak. And yes. by his grace and by his Holy Spirit, open the word to us. Because, I mean, otherwise, what's the point? Just go and take a novel, great expectations and, and debate that. Yes, exactly. Um, so, so Linda, could you um just give us a wee bit, a, a wee brief, um, a wee brief insight into the story of Bathsheba? You know, because people might have they might have seen like the you know the pictures of her usually bathing, you know, in the nude, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. But there's more to her than that, you know. So it'd be really great okay. to hear the story. So if you want to read the story in the Bible, look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 and then go into 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2. So we believe that Bathsheba was the granddaughter of Ahitophel, who was King David's trusted counsellor until he and Absalom got in tow together. And her name, Bathsheba, means daughter of the oath. She was bathing. It was just after her monthly period, her purification rituals as a good Jewish woman would do, and she was bathing. Now, I reread the text again a couple of times for the first time in a long time, and, and like most people, I've always thought she was on the rooftop bathing and David looked out his window and saw her. Actually, David had wakened up from an afternoon nap and he was on the top, the rooftop of his house. Yeah. And out and saw Bathsheba. Now, there's lots of different ways you can understand that. And maybe later on, we'll talk about the Midrash understanding about how he came to see her. But he saw her and he sent his servants to find out who she was. They came back and said she is Uriah the Hittite's wife. And Uriah was a foreigner, not a, not a, a Jew. And he was fighting on behalf of King David and Israel and the God of Israel. Um, and he was, at, he was in battle at Rabbah. So he was away. Bathsheba was purifying herself. David saw her. He lusted after her. And he had his, his servants bring her to the, the palace. Mm -hmm. And there, the language is just very straightforward. He basically had sexual intercourse with her. Um, there doesn't seem to be any kind of courtship. Um, but the fact that she was married was against all the laws of, of God. So... Um, she went back to her house and obviously it had to have been some time later. She sent word to David saying she was pregnant and David sent his servants to get Uriah the Hittite from battle. He came and his plan was to get Uriah drunk um, and then send him home to have relations with his wife. But Uriah refused to do that. Instead, he, he slept at the palace with the other servants and David was horrified, why did you do that? And Uriah, being a man of integrity, kept the Jewish law around battle and basically said, I'm not going to go and lie with my wife when my brothers in arms are on the battlefield. So then David, his deceit got greater and he decided he would uh, feed and get him drunk. And he did that and then send him home again, but it didn't happen. And of course, he again stayed at the palace. And then the next thing, that happened was that David was scuppered because Uriah didn't go and lie with Bathsheba, trying to disguise the, the pregnancy as his. So he sent, he wrote a letter um, and gave it to Uriah the Hittite and to give to Joab the general, 
job was David's right hand man. And the letter basically said, put Uriah at the, the, the most awful part of the battle on the front line and let him be killed. And this is what Joab did. Uriah carried his own death sentence. Joab had him sit at the front and among valiant men and he was slaughtered. And then Joab sent word back with a messenger to King David that so-and-so was slaughtered, so-and-so was slaughtered. Um, quite detailed information about the battle, even including a woman throwing a millstone over the wall. And he, he, Joab told the messenger, if King David gets irate and upset, say this. And at the end of it all, say, and Uriah the Hittite was killed. So this is what the messenger did. Of course, David heard the news. So he was thought he, thought he was scot-free. He sent, after a period of mourning and lamenting, he sent for Bathsheba. And she came and lived with him as his wife. And that's the first time she's referred to as his wife in the text. Then her pregnancy comes to fruition. A, a son is born. But in the middle of all that, Nathan comes to King David, the prophet Nathan, and basically tells David uh, a parable, one of the few parables in the Old Testament. And David is outraged. He still has decency about justice and thieving. And basically, he's confronted by his own sin and God's prophecy through Nathan is that David's house will turn on itself and there'll be a battle. Mm -hmm. And the long story cut short, and by the way, the baby that was born will, will die. So David confesses his sin, he falls prostrate on the floor before God and um, confesses and, and mourns and repents. And then after seven days in sackcloth fasting, he basically, he's told the baby that is dead. And so he gets up and washes and has a meal. And he takes Bathsheba. At this point, sorry, I got it wrong before. At this point, he takes Bathsheba into the house as his wife. Um, and what, what that's all about, and there's more about Bathsheba in a minute, but Bathsheba's grief is not mentioned. David's grief mm -hmm. is talked about at length. Bathsheba's grief is not even hinted at. And then her son Solomon, um, on David's deathbed, Nathan comes again to Bathsheba and there's a suggestion that David promised her Solomon would be the king. But of course, Solomon's not the firstborn son. And yes. There's a wee, bit of, a wee bit of conflict. One part of the text says it's Adonijah, another part of the text says it's Absalom. Um, so, of course, Absalom at this point then has been killed. So it should be Adonijah as the next king. And Nathan says to Bathsheba, go into David on his deathbed and say to him, look, Remember, you promised me that my son would be king. Well, Adonijah has proclaimed himself king. So she went in and did this, but she added a wee bit to the story and said, you swore an oath to God. And of course, David said, well, then I'll uphold that oath. And he sends for Zadok and Nathan to anoint, Zadok the priest to anoint Solomon. Solomon is the king and Adonijah is in pieces. And then a wee bit later, of course, he comes to Bathsheba, Adonijah, and says, look, can I have... Can you ask Solomon to give me uh, Abishag, the Shunammite young virgin who kept King David warm on his deathbed? Can I have her as my wife? Now, it doesn't say that anything underhanded was going on, but in my mind, I think Adonijah wanted to, to get Shun the Shunammite woman, Abishag, to tell the story that David did not say that, that yes. and Bathsheba had concocted this story, so we need Adonijah as the king. Yes. So Solomon was more wise than Bathsheba. Bathsheba went to Solomon and said to him, listen, here's the story. 
And Solomon said, that scoundrel, he's going to die today. So he ordered his death and Adonijah was killed. Now, that's basically the story from Samuel and Kings. But uh, there's a whole lot more to it than this. My, my immediate reaction when I hear this story is power rape. Yes, I I would I would I would wholeheartedly agree with you, Linda, because it's uh, it, it there's no I, I feel as if she has no agency, you know. She no, is, no. you know, it's like uh, David sees her, he wants her, he has her, she has no choice, you know, she's got no choice. Um, you know, and it's like, you know, he's having her, he sees her and he just wants her. Yeah. And it's a, uh, and and again, it's like, and and then we also we don't know if she wanted to be his wife, you know. So again, yes. it's like you know she becomes his wife. He takes her as his wife. So you know she's uh, she's raped, and then later on she has to you know marry a rapist, um, and there's a, uh, oh you know I find it I find it personally a very disturbing um, story, and I do think. We try to, um, and I think this is where I think a lot of these, you know, the 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 imagery, you know, from the the artists from the medieval times onward, you know, are you know naked, you know, bathing and all the rest. Of it. It's as if like, oh well, you know, she's kind of like, you know, she's you know provoking. Asking for it. Uh -huh. Asking for it. Um, and it's you know taken away because we want so much to to believe that. You know, David's a good guy. You know, we we like David, and he is a good guy, and he is righteous, and he's all the things. And we look at his psalms, and we're touched and profoundly moved. And the reality is that he's human, like us all. Mm -hmm. I, please God, we would never want to rape anybody. And maybe in that cultural context, it was different. However, what he did was wrong in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the law. Yes, he, he took another woman, a woman who was married to another man. And 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 in those old days, Bathsheba was the possession of Uriah, not the possession of David, whether he was king or not. And I think it's important for us, and I think we do this a lot to, to ministers in particular. We put them up on a pedestal, and the first the first opportunity of anything that might be slightly awkward, wrong, difficult, we knock them down. And you know, there's no no opportunity for redemption. And I think that that's one of the hardest things that ministers face. And David was absolutely bang out of order. And, and in our culture today, he would be, it would be the me too. Yes. And he, I hope, would be dealt with. Um, but I think, I think God dealt with it. And I think his own understanding that he was wrong because of the prophet Nathan's parable of the, the man coming and stealing the one little you when he had hundreds of yous to, to have for himself anyway. Mm -hmm. I think that parable... Um, gives us the, the chance to see God's redemption and God's, how, how God views us. God doesn't see us as, well, I, I believe God sees us as the most beautiful, wonderful, loving creatures. Um, and yet God also sees the mess we make and sees the, the hurt we cause and the, the wickedness that we're capable of. But I think that this, this parable and this story of Bathsheba's rape gives us the opportunity to say about who God is, to say, how big God's love is, how, how we live with the consequences of our wickedness and our sinfulness, like the consequences of David's wickedness. But I think that also what it does is it tells us that God will clean it up and God will say, I still love you. Um, yeah. And you're, you're going to have to deal with these consequences. 
but I still love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think, see we, see we Bathsheba, you know, thinking about whenever, um, you know, she'd went to David, you know, on his deathbed and says, you know, you uh-huh. said that, you know, you would, you know, Solomon would become, you know, your, your heir. Um, do, do you know, do you think, you know, it's like, well, I've had to endure all this. I'm I'm making sure that I'm getting something, you know, that, that it's not been for nothing. You know, that there's, there's something <coughs> there that... Um, oh. I think, I don't know, according to the text, I don't know that it was her idea. It was the prophet Nathan's idea. Now, if the prophet Nathan um, had, had a hotline, if you like, to God, um, maybe I'm trying to harmonise the text too much, but it would seem to me that maybe he's acting on something God has told him to act upon. Uh-huh. Um, certainly, there was no, stab, I mean, the, the order for the oldest son to inherit the father's wealth was clearly established. But remember, David was only second king, and David wasn't Saul's son. So there was no precedent set for the firstborn to have the throne. And if you read again in the text, um, it tells us that the king decides who the next king is going to be, who his successor is going to be. So in our language today, Charles could say, oh, well, it's going to be Harry, or it's going to be um, Louis, or it's going to be Charlotte, or it's going Uh to be Princess Beatrice. So it's the king who decides. So it may well be that Nathan, acting maybe not from a word from God, but acting on his own wisdom and on his own intelligence. Let's face it, that's often what, what how the spirit leads us. Um, and so I think, I think it doesn't seem to me that she doesn't appear to be a woman of deceit and she doesn't appear to be a woman of what can I get out of this? Because if she was pregnant by David, um, she may well have wanted to get something out of it right there and then and could have and she could have said get rid of my my husband if she yeah. was a money grabber or a status grabber well this this was what i did read that from a commentator <laughs> wow <laughs> which one <laughs> well, i just worry that one of them way yeah. that uh, again they're this way that i think you know that they're, they're trying to um you know be I think be kinder possibly to david than what they should be but yeah. um is that that they had they had suggested that um, you know because uh, you know the that all the houses and all that were all very close together. You know she had you know kind of got herself out there parading herself. You know yeah, so it's to entice him. You know but this was because she wanted him to uh, then get rid of her husband. And uh, her yeah. husband. Uh, but I I. I I'm a bit dubious about that. I do not think yeah. that, that that was the case. I think that's um, people just trying to... Um, justify uh, David. Yes, yeah. I justify it. Yes. And then another thing I had come across, and I had, you know, thinking about the justifying. Um, now, is it, is, it in the, is it in the Midrash that... Um, is it in the Midrash where the, it's, the, they say that Satan had yes. um, been involved in this? Yes. Uh, uh-huh. And that... Yes. Yes, he was. He was on his. He was out looking, and Bathsheba was behind the screen. And David saw a bird. He was. He was looking at this wee bird, and he actually drew an arrow back to kill the bird. He missed the bird and split the screen, and that was all Satan's doing. And of course, he saw her naked and wanted her. Well, come on. How much power does Satan have? Number one, and number two, why would you come on and kill a wee bird? I know. Number three. What kind of screen was made so flimsy that an arrow would split it down the middle at just at the right time when Bathsheba was coming out naked? Yes. And four, 
is David, uh, according to this picture, so feeble that just one look by chance and he had the hammer? And and you know, then you think he's the king, you know, he can, he's probably got some women, you know, like, you know, (laughs) nurse himself. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) he's got all his concubines as well, you know. Uh, you know, but the question I want to ask, I want to ask, why was he having a nap when it was the spring and it was the time for the for kings? The text says the time for kings to be out doing battle. What had happened? What had changed in David to make him go from being the man who slaughtered thousands upon thousands? Not that I like that or, or anything, but his reputation as a great warrior. What had happened to make him be in his <coughs> his bedroom having a wee nap? Do you know that? Say, uh, I think, I think you might there might be something in this, Linda. You know, because it could be that it could be that he's got maybe like PTSD. You know, if he's been out there, um, he's been, you know, battling, fighting. He's seen all this stuff happen before him. It could be that he's in a depression. You know, it may well be, and because we know from other psalms that he did suffer. From, from these terrible, terrible seasons of uh-huh. deep grief. But that mm-hmm. doesn't give me the excuse to go and rape somebody, you know? No, no but it could um, it could suggest what, what a reason why he was not maybe you know, like his, his usual self, you know? Um, it could, could well, you know, be a suggestion of that. Um, I had not realised, Linda, that, um, that if David features within um, Islam. I know, it's fascinating, isn't it? Uh-huh. considered to be a prophet in Islam, yeah. Yes, and uh, but they, again, they don't think that, um, you know, so they think that, you know, prophets are um, infallible. Um, yeah. So, again, that, that was there, and it was, you know, people trying to cause trouble that suggested other, you know, that added extra onto this story, yeah. that it was only after um, Uriah um, was killed in battle that uh, Bathsheba then became David's wife yeah. and that um, seemingly they said that at that time um, you know if your husband had died in battle you couldn't get married again so because David yeah. married her then they added you know the people that were against this then added all this you know negativity yeah. and like all this you know the rumours and all the rest of it to the, to the story And did you also read about um, in the Midrash again how they believed that soldiers going off the battle would give their wives a certificate of divorce so that if they were killed in battle, then there would be no hesitation for them to be allowed to get married quickly. So that I mean we create we create such stories and such complications to try and harmonize and justify something that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in our lives today, we do that, don't we? We, we, we look at the current crisis in the NHS Rishi Sunak today makes a statement about mathematics, trying to def- deflect people from the seriousness of what's going on. And his health minister yesterday said, oh, no, it's it's all the flu and COVID and strep A that's caused this. this and they're refusing to listen to the truth of what the doctors and nurses and medical people are saying. You know, they're, you know, so we want we want to try and cover our tracks. We want to try and make things not seem the way they are. But the reality is own what you've done. Uh-huh. And own your 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 bad behaviour, own your sinfulness, own your diminishing of yourself and of others and of God, and 
allow God to heal, transform, and bring new life out of it. But even in history, we can't do that with somebody like King David because we're afraid. But what does it say about him? What does it say about our faith? What does it say about our God? It doesn't say anything about our faith or our God other than God is gracious and wonderful and can see beyond the stupid pettiness that we we can't see beyond, you know? I know. And see, that I think it's actually, it is a, it is a wonderful example of, because so often in life, people think the things that they do uh, separate them from God, you know, yes, and yes. and actually for most people, most people haven't done actually anything and nearly as bad as what but David's Steve, done. Exactly, but he's still, you know, he's he repents, he's he's called out, he repents, and God God still loves him, you know. God still, you know, is he's. He's still loved. And I think that is like such a wonderful example that actually even the worst things, if you are sorry for what you've done, you know, God doesn't hold it against you. I think we have God, we make God in our image. And because our minds are so small, we think God's small. And we think that God cares about our sin and all the wickedness. God, God keeps a big book. Oh, Linda did this that day, and she didn't do that the other day, and she did this this day, and she should have done that, but she couldn't and didn't. And oh, God help her! I don't think for one minute God really cares about that. I think no. God cares. Come on, come close to me. Let's yeah. see how deep we can go together. Mm-hmm. And I think that we we create formulae all the time to make God accessible, and there is no one formula. There are no formula that are created by human beings that can make God accessible. And when, when Jesus came humble and vulnerable, trusting human beings, he modeled for us that God is no threat to us and that God longs for, for communion with us, for union. And I think that it's too easy for us to say, oh, well, I mean, I, I'm going to get, I'm saved. And as long as I repent, I'm okay. That, that's just nonsense. That's just that's just us creating a theology of convenience. Uh, what was Bonhoeffer talked about? Um, cheap grace. Cheap grace, yeah. Uh-huh. Cheap grace. I don't want cheap grace. I don't need cheap grace. I've already got all the grace that God has in, in God's heart for me. And if I can, if I can get away from following these petty little rules, which is just like the Old Testament law, and follow the one rule: love God with all of my being every possible part of me and my neighbor as myself and that's got to be much that's got to for me that is the way that is uh-huh. almost oh, definitely and you know you think if you know David within this you know he was far from God you know whenever he did what he did and then you you would hope that as he comes back you know to 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 loving God that that then actually transforms that relationship you know with Bathsheba you know because you think well you know she'll be grieving you know grieving the loss of a child grieving the loss of a husband then moving into this you know life that she hasn't chosen for herself and and you would like to think that and again I know I'm like putting a lot into the text here you know and like imagining a lot in it but you would hope that as David has returned, you know, to God, that within that relationship there is healing, 
and understanding and the opportunity for Bathsheba to actually, you know, be able to, to be, you know, without the hurt and the pain. Yeah. And I think I think often what I'm guilty of doing is imposing my 21st century understanding upon the text. And she she was nothing and nobody. Bathsheba was nothing and nobody. That's why David could have her like she's mm -hmm. a chocolate biscuit. You know, and then her choice, do you honestly think he would have let her stay outside the palace when she was pregnant? I don't think so. So again, her choice was removed from that. Mm -hmm. And I love to think that she fell in love with him and it was all hunky-dory, but it, why would she? He'd raped her. Our baby had died because of his behaviour, if we trust what the text saying. Mm -hmm. um, and I would question that text that God would punish an innocent child because of another man's sin. Yes. But she was she was part of the harem. I mean, I mean, I would my twenty first century romance would say, oh no, she was his favourite, and, and she would be with him every day, the way a modern day woman would be with a modern day man today. Mm -hmm. No, no. And and the fact that she conceived and and gave birth to Solomon, I, I don't know how many other sons did he have, the other women and daughters. Never mind, never mind the sons. How many other daughters did he have that we don't even hear about? So. Um, but, but for me, the overarching thing is is grace. That I hope her life was better afterwards. I hope and pray, and I hope that his transformation. And I think he did. He did transform. He didn't realize. Um, and I hope that he administered and continued to administer grace throughout the rest of his reign. And I, I wish that we could just say warts and all, like Oliver Cromwell. That's the way God sees us. I know people who think you've got to change before God can love you. I know somebody who said to me, you, you preach too much about love and not enough about judgment. And then my response to that is, God's judgment's restorative, not punitive. And we need to get our head away from this notion that God's sitting up in heaven with a big stick ready to beat us. We need to transform how we see God and let that transform how we live and how we love and how we serve. Yeah. All right, so thinking about um, today... Linda, you know, thinking yep. about um, uh, Bathsheba's story and how it speaks into our lives today, you know, and I was, um, well, actually not that, a few weeks ago, you know, I, I had heard a story on the radio, they were talking about, because um, I think there was a conference, a UN conference, and they were talking about women um, being raped during war, you know, so rape is a weapon, um, Absolutely. Uh -huh. And there was a woman who actually was a woman's, but she was so eloquent and so full of like understanding. But she had been a product um, of um, rape. Um, her, her mother was a Bosnian, raped during the, yeah, the, the Bosnian sure. War. And um, I, she was, uh, she'd been brought up by two journalists um, who'd got her out of the country. and you know, but you're thinking, oh my goodness, but now she, she, you know, she campaigns, you know, she's an activist, um, and it's, uh, and you just think, you think, in this day and age, this is what's still happening, and this is still how, you know, women are getting treated, women and girls are being treated, um, it, it's just, you're like, oh, 
Well, it just defies belief, doesn't it, really? It does. And, I mean, wherever you stand in the Harry Meghan thing, you look at how Meghan's been treated in the newspapers. Even if a, even if 10% of what she's supposed to have done is true, it's still not good enough to treat her the way they've treated her. Um, and it's it's about how, how women are in our culture and in our society and in the world at large. Why is it okay to rape them, to, to, to punish us, not them, us? Why is it okay for women to be thought of as less than men? Why are we not standing up? And even especially in the church, there's, I was reading in the paper recently about 200 women in the Catholic church and the movement uh, for women to be ordained in the Catholic church. And uh-huh. Francis, maybe he's, he's going to drive that forward. It's this whole understanding that women are less than. Um, and it, it goes back to the Adam and Eve story, I'm convinced of. Convinced. Um, when the Jews don't even read that as, as, as this how creation happened, they read that as as poetry, reflecting a beautiful creative God, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that also was reading in the paper this week was about the night marches being reclaimed, you know, because it's not safe for women and girls to walk the streets at night. You know, it must be terrifying. I live in a village. It's I'm not afraid in this village, but if it was in Glasgow, it might be. Um, but it's about, I mean, one of the posters said, um, after, um, oh, protect women, and that was scratched out and replaced with educate men. And we've got to start educating our children, our boys, as well as our girls. You know, I mean, you see the way they interact as little children. That, that learned behavior, you know? So yes. About that. But yeah. this, the whole thing about controlling women through sex and through rape. Sandhurst, for the past 20 years, there's been 177 reported um, accusations against the men and the officers training academy against women. That's you know, true. Okay, women making now, how many how many didn't say a thing, many kept many exactly. shot, you know. Yeah. It's, it's horrific. And we we need to be starting, if we haven't already started, we need to be asking the questions. And then the church as well. We need to be standing yeah. up. This is not the way forward. Uh-huh. I suppose one of the good things about the church, and I have to say something good, is <laughs> that new moderator in the Church of Scotland is a wonderful, strong woman, Sally Fulton, an amazing woman. And I'm so looking forward to seeing what she works with this year. She's Christian Aid, head of Christian Aid here in Scotland. And I love her. She's, she's from the USA. From, I think she's from Georgia, but she's got the most gorgeous accent. But that aside, she's really clever and she's hugely passionate and greatly gifted with wisdom and insight. And I can't wait to see how she leads us mm-hmm. this year. I'm so excited about it. Hi. Do you know I'm I'm hoping that there will be some guidance comes out, you know, especially around um Afghanistan. You know, I'm really praying for that country, you know, with you know, with the you know, NGOs having to pull out, you know, you thinking, what are these people left to? Like, especially the women and the girls, what are they getting left to? You know, because you're hearing like people selling their girls, you know, to be yes, able to yes. like pay for, you know, to be able to buy food. Twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties would want a child. Eleven, twelve, thirteen. I know. What I kind know. of sick, sick creature would want that? I know. It's obscene. But we're responsible for that in this country because yeah. we've screwed up Afghanistan royally, and yeah. now women can't work. Women can't go to university. It's obscene. What I want to ask this Taliban mob is, what are you so afraid of? Hi. What are you so afraid of that your women get educated? Hi. What about? 
And all well, like, you know, not realizing that if it wasn't for women, they wouldn't be there in the first yeah. place. <laughs> you know, it's just, like, I don't understand it. But I really would, I really hope that there'll be more coming out from the church um, about how we can actively um, support women and girls in Afghanistan and not just, you know, not just through prayer, but actively support them. Yeah. You know, I really hope that there is something that comes out. So, Linda, we've just got a wee minute before we finish. Do you have any, um, do you have a good news story that we could oh, yes. on? You know, what I was reading, you know, ABBA, one of my favourite groups in the whole world ever, their song in 1979, Chiquitita. Yes. You maybe won't remember, but um, uh, they used to be called Take Your Teeth Out. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, they, they have given the rights, the, all monies of that song in 1979 to UNICEF so that it could be used exclusively for the education of women and girls. And not simply academic education, but education about their, their emotions, their bodies, sexuality, HIV, everything. And I want to say, God bless ABBA. Oh, God yeah. bless them for Chiquitita. I think the word Chiquitita means little girl in Spanish. And... and um, what's his name? The blonde guy. Oh, I forgot his name. Benny. No, Bjorn. Ben, Bjorn. 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 Bjorn was saying that in his mind, and that is 1979, he said this, that they all believed that the way forward for the world was to educate girls and women. Uh-huh. Praise the Lord. Yes. Oh, indeed. Yes. Oh, well, well, thank you so much, Linda. And thanks. Well, that's a good note to finish on. So as and we look forward to hearing all your comments um, on this um, about this podcast, your thoughts and opinions. Um, and we do we will read them um, and uh, just it'd be good to hear um, what you've got to say. So we will be back with you again next month. Um, and so uh, thank you for joining us. Have a great month. Be blessed, friends. Um, and we will speak to you all soon. Bye for now. Bye, see ya.